0: Thank you so much for listening to this pre recorded episode of Agent Chat Live. Agent Chat Live is a spin off of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about both shows, visit pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake and Reframe. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to Agent Chat Live on this Sunday afternoon. It's sunny here. I don't know where, how it is where y'all are, but in Florida, it's sunny. Um, I I just want to make sure that we are broadcasting before we really get started, so it looks like people are starting to come in, so cool. Okay, so uh, today I am very excited to talk to our guest today, uh, a literary agent for over 15 years, Andrea Sandberg. Represents a wide range of fiction and nonfiction, including projects for adult, young adult, and middle grade audiences. Previously an agent at the Donald Musk Agency and Vigliano Associates, I hope I pronounced that correctly. She joined Harvey Klinger Literary Agency in the spring of 2005. Her client's books have been New York Times and USA Today Bestseller bestsellers, winners of ALA's Alex Award and the Nebula, nominated for the Edgar Award, the Lambda Award, and named Best Books of the Year by New York Public Library and Book of the Month Club. She also teaches courses for Media Bistro and Writer's Digest, and you can find the links to her website and social media and everything in the description down below. So please welcome Andrea. Hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome to Asian Chat Live. So glad you could um, come on today and chat with us all right so um, my goal here is to help potential clients get to know you a little bit better Uh, viewers are welcome to drop questions i should say live viewers are welcome to drop questions if you're watching the replay sorry we won't be able to answer your questions um but you can still you know listen and um uh and but i do want to start off by saying that we won't really be asking any questions that like a google search can answer so things like word count genre definition stuff like that and also we won't be answering any um what I like to call pre-queries. So like when people are like, oh, are you interested in books about mermaids in space? And that's the example I always use for some reason. Um, yeah, so just a heads up on all of that. All right, so we're gonna get started with a basic easy question. Um, what categories and genres do you represent?
1: I represent a wide range of um, of categories and genres. I mean, everything from adult nonfiction, um, uh, adult fiction, um, romance, science fiction, uh, fantasy, uh, horror, thrillers, mysteries, book club fiction, literary fiction, um, you know, uh, YA, middle grade. Um, I, I really um, I represent a wide range, and part of that is just because of my background. I started out at um, <laughs> an agency where I did a lot of genre fiction. I did a lot of um, and start indented YA. And then I went to another agency where I did a lot of nonfiction, um, worked on a lot of celebrity books and things like that. And then, so when I went to Harvey Klinger, which I feel like is over 15 years ago, (laughs) I decided I'd had a a lot of experience with a wide range of different types of projects. And I found that I really liked the variety. Um, And so I decided when I started there that I wanted to keep my list broad. um, you know, I knew the editors, I knew how to sell different types of projects. And, um, and yeah, so that's, I've purposely cultivated my list to be, um, you know, to have quite a wide range of projects on it.
0: Yeah, you do have quite a wide range. I guess I it would be better to ask what don't you represent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, I, I don't see many biographies, um, but okay, I sure. have been doing uh, quite a few middle grade biograph- biographies mm. lately. So I can't even mm-hmm. say, you know, that I don't do biographies mm-hmm.
0: anymore. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I do. I, um, You know, and that's, that's actually proves very helpful because I have been in the industry for, Uh, Oh, like over 20 years now. And, you know, it's really interesting, because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you'll have certain types of books that um, come into fashion, or that you can sell while other types of books become, uh, you know, more difficult, for example, like, you know, new adult for a period of time, like you could sell and now Mm -hmm. like, you know, that's you know, there really isn't that type of category anymore, or like, um, you know, romance has become significantly harder to sell. Um, I still do represent it and still sell it, but because with the rise of um, self-publishing and things like that, because the price points are so low, um, you know, the romance market has changed significantly. So, um, you know, it's it's been interesting kind of seeing the ebbs and flows um, and, you know, what editors are looking for, for all those different types of genres and age groups.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I used to say like, I pretty much read everything except horror and his historical fiction, but then I uh, like every historical fiction book I've actually read. I've really enjoyed. <laughs> so, I can't say that anymore. And, yeah. I, and I read um, <laughs> the year of the witching, which is, I guess, horror. And I love that. So yeah, apparently. I know that's exactly right. Out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like every time I feel like, oh no, I, I I wouldn't be interested in that. I
0: wouldn't represent like I find something, I'm like, oh no. my God, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like it. I read Codename Verity. I'm like, I literally cannot say I don't like historical <laughs> fiction anymore because that was one of the best books I've read in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So why did you get into agenting in the first place? Um,
1: you know, I somewhat fell into it. I was lucky enough. Um when I was in college to get an internship um with uh, the Don Moss agency. and I um you know, i I love to read. Um, you know, and I think that was something that, you know, made me maybe think about going into something having to do with books. Um, and yeah, and I, I started working for them. and and luckily, the timing worked out where I was, I actually had two years before I was graduating, but they actually had an employee who was leaving in two years, they knew. So they were like, if you come back next summer, we can then offer you a job after graduation. So, um, you know, especially cause I feel like the publishing industry can be really hard to, um, you know, break into to get like sort of those opening positions. Like I, I was
0: incredibly, um, incredibly lucky with how the timing worked out with that. Cool. Um, all right, so we have a question from one of my Patreon supporters. So the uh, my Patreon supporters can submit questions ahead of time, um, and this one is from new Patreon supporter. Welcome, by the way, um, Quincy. And Quincy asks, "Do you mind having clients who write in multiple genres or categories?" No, not at all. Actually, um, it it can be really great. Um, I,
1: um, you know, it, it's it, publishing industry can be difficult. Um, for many, many different reasons, um, and so um, I'll, I'll give like two different types of examples. on um, Why it could potentially be useful if an author is interested in writing in different genres. Um, so, one of the things about publishing is that it can take a long time. Um, so, so for example, like say you were to um, you know be writing say YA, and you um, uh, did a two book contract with a publisher. Well. With the way that the dates work out, you would then potentially be, depending on how the option clause read, um, you could be potentially, um, you know, you would be under contract for those two books, but you couldn't necessarily write any other books during that time period, um, which, you know, can be problematic um, because you know a lot of my clients like they love to write, they they just want to continuously be writing, um, and so. Um, you know, sometimes then it can be helpful to be able to maybe pivot to maybe, you know, write um, you know something maybe for an adult audience or maybe something for middle grade or something along those lines because that's something that we could then go out with, and we wouldn't be tied to um, the publishing the publishing contract um, for the y a. um similarly, if, for example, um, you know, sometimes like you write a book and maybe, you know, the sales aren't as great as you wanted it to be., um, and then so sometimes it can be it can be hard to sell um, your next book in in that genre. Um, and that's because, Bookstores base their orders on your next title, on how many copies of the original book they were able to sell. And so one of the first things that publishers do when they're considering a new book um, by an author is to to look at the sales of the previous book. Um, And so sometimes, you know, there's various ways to get around this. Um, But one of those ways is sometimes to pivot a little bit and to think about, okay, well, is there a different... um, Um, subject I can write about or a different genre or a different audience Um, in that way you know we can then go to the publisher and say look like that first book like maybe the sales weren't great but this book is very different Um, and you know we you can do that Um, and so yeah there's there's ways to do that and so I have a ton of clients who write um, in different genres for different audiences Um, my client Sarah Beth Durst she has written like twenty four books, I think, um all for adult and y a and middle grade and picture book. and um and we're actually gonna be announcing a new um, a new deal for her recently soon and everything like that. so like it's just, um, you know, so it, it can it can be very useful. On the other hand, I have clients who are like, no, you know what i this is this is the type of book I like. this is the type of book I love. like I, mm-hmm. I want to write in this um you know for this audience type of book and that's great too um
0: yeah and with with you representing such a wide range of genres and categories it might be easier for you to actually represent someone who writes in multiple categories and some other agents who specialize a little bit more
1: it's it's yeah it's really true and that's part of the reason why um you know in terms of my thinking of keeping my list broad um that was part of my thinking as well because i mean certainly my goal for my clients is to be their best advocate Um, and you know part of that is career planning and it can be hard to do career planning um you know if you're only you know representing like one genre or for one audience or things like that i mean certainly you can have different agents for different types of books or things like that but um there can be a benefit to have all of it in one place and and then being able because it it can get complicated with contracts and when things are delivering Mm -hmm. and also um you know, how to build your name as an author. Um, and so, and so, yes, that that's, and I also, um, because I do represent so many different genres um, and so many different audiences, like I do know what is, um, you know, what people are looking for in those different areas. So I can also um, give advice in terms of that if I have a client who's interested in maybe pursuing a different type of path.
0: Yeah. All right. So. Um, You've seen the show before, so you know it's coming up. I'm going to give you a chance to brag about yourself, so please take advantage of it. Um, if someone's thinking about querying you and your wish list lines up with their work, um, why should someone query you? Um, wow. Well, so
1: <laughs> I, um, you know, I have been doing this for a long time, um, almost over 20 years or, I don't know, something like that. And I, um, so, you know, I mean, I, I do... Um, you know, I would say, you know, I do know what I'm doing, um, and I do, um, you know, and I've, I've, you know, but, but but part of it is like once again, like what we were talking about in terms of, you know, I do, I, I'm, I think that, um, you know, certainly also too, if you are particularly looking um, to write. For different audiences, for different genres, um, you know, I, I can be very, very helpful when it comes to something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like to think that I'm, I'm a, you know, really great to work with. <laughs> I like to think like, um, you know, I'm, I'm very communi- communicative. Um, I, um, you know. I I will check my email in the middle of the night. <laughs> <isn't> the, best, <laughs> the best in terms of work life balance, but I, um, you know, I am a bit anal retentive when it comes to things like that. Um, you know, and I like to think, you know, in terms of my clients, it's a partnership. Like, you know, I really my goal is to help them realize, um, you know, their, their their goals to help them, um, you know, achieve what they want to achieve. Um, and so that's everything from yes obviously like selling the book is very important finding a good home um, for the author is very very important but then you know there's so much that comes after that in terms of you know making sure that promotion is happening when it's supposed to be happening um you know helping the author get blurbs um you know figuring out like are there um you know different different things we can do in terms of of building buzz for the book um you know making sure that uh you know, things are going smoothly with the publisher and, you know, are there maybe other, um, you know, opportunities for the client, you know, maybe there's work for higher projects they might be interested in pursuing, or maybe there's, um, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, new opportunities these days in terms of like writing for apps or writing for, you know, those types of things. So I try to keep up to date so I can present all of the different opportunities to my clients in case it's anything that they might want to take advantage of. um, so yeah, and then you know, of course, like selling film, TV rights, selling audio rights, selling translation rights. Um, you know, those are all things that we take very seriously and are very, um, you know, um, um, aggressive about. I would say. <laughs> so, cool. so yeah, yeah. It's like that's yeah, yeah,
0: and we we read in your bio too. You have a lot of um, best-selling authors, award winners, that kind of thing, right? So there's that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know,
1: I've um, once again I've been doing this for a long time, and so it's you know, um, yeah. And I've I've I have a lot of great clients, a lot of great authors who their work is amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm always looking for new new authors and and um, you know new um, projects that I'm gonna fall in love with and and be passionate about, and um, you know, um, hopefully have a really long
0: great relationship um, with the author. So yeah awesome all right so we have another question from a patreon supporter this one is from Lode Star, and let's he asked um since you represent pop culture in nonfiction, what do you think is the most important hot topic of our current time oh gosh um wow
1: that's a really good question <laughs> oh. I feel like I'm going to spout something out and then an hour from now I'm going to be like, no, that's not, that's, not, that's <laughs> real, no. oh. um, you know, it's so, it can be so interesting because I, I think that like a lot of, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's so, so there's, there's kind of a bunch of different discussions going on here in that, you know, um, pop culture, Books in some ways have gotten harder to sell uh, to a certain extent because, uh, because of the, because because just you know so many much more books are being sold online. Um, you know, it kind of used to be a lot of types of, of pop culture books or books that kind of lent themselves to that type of thing. Um, a lot of times, those were free like points of purchase types of, of books. Um, so like, you know, they, they would be like near the cash register or on the tables at, at Barnes and Noble, um, you know, back in the day of borders and <laughs> things like that. And so, you know, we've certainly, um, you know, I, I think that, that um, really for something to work in that space, um, it has to really, um, the appeal has to be immediate and it needs to feel like something that's, um, you know, going to have, um you know just a a built-in audience um and so whether that's something where like you know it could be you know obviously it could be an author who like already has a following on instagram or on you know i mean you know uh, somehow online or something like Mm -hmm. that or through some other um platform um you know or it could be something that touches upon something that has like you know a a lot of pop culture appeal that people are really into, but it does it in a way that's uh, different from anything else out there. And that, and here's the problem, is that it's also something that lends itself best to book form versus mm-hmm. something that is better served um, through some type of um, other type of platform. So I think that's really kind of the big challenge is like, okay, so like, why should this be a book? And why is this? um, Yeah. And so I think that's, that's kind of the big question in terms of like pop culture titles. And I feel like I skirted the question.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. So like, on the print run podcast, especially Eric talks a lot about like, what, what topic deserves a book versus like an article in WAPO, you know? Yeah. Like, um, and you really have to um, think about that when you're because the books like, I mean, the book unless they crash it, it's not coming out for like a year, you know, or longer. Yeah. So. Yeah, um. Exactly. All right. So. Um, so a lot of times. Uh, when this question is asked, like someone will say something like, If you had a mag- magic wand, what would you change about the industry? Which is like a frustrating question to me because I'm very pragmatic. <laughs> and so I'm like, There are no magic wands. So what are we going to do <laughs> in real life? You know? Um, so if you were, say, like the CEO of Penguin Random House and you could make a big change in the industry, what do you think you would change?
1: I mean, I think, um, and you know, I think this is something that a lot of people would um, you know bolster as well is that certainly more diversity in the industry um, you know is you know there there are steps being taken um, but you know certainly we've got a long way to go. Um, you know, salaries <laughs> that's something that we've talked about. yeah you know it's also interesting like I know there's been a lot of talk about salaries. Um, you know, on on for publishers and and them raising the price and you know their price the uh, you know beginning salary and also too is that really um, you know even so that's still challenging um, especially living in New York um, but I also think that kind of you know I, it's gonna be really interesting seeing what's gonna happen post COVID in terms of um, New York and and how much. Of that is, based there. Um, mm. I'm going. I'm going down like a weird. You know, I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm going down another rabbit hole. But I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna circle back to the question. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing, just talking about, um, you know, compensation in the publishing industry, and I think that, um, you know, th- and I also think that obviously ties into diversity. Um, you know, I think you have obviously you have a lot of people who go into it who can afford to go into it because it's not necessarily. Um, you know, you can't, you don't, you don't necessarily, a lot of times you don't make mon- that much money for a long time until you get to a certain point in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then there's no guarantees. Um, you know, what's really interesting too is on the agency side of things, um, you know, we've seen, you know, it used to be when I started off, like I, you know, you would start off in an agency, you get a salary. Um, usually as an agent, like you would also get maybe a salary and some type of draw. Um, so like you would get a salary and a commission type of thing. Um, lately, you know, we've seen more and more agencies where it's um, it's commission-based only. Um, so a lot of times you have agents who are, who are maybe trying to make this step up from assistant to full-time agents and they are just existing on the money that is coming in from um, from a percentage of the commission that they get. I mean, that's obviously very very hard because, like, a lot of times, like you, um, you know, it takes time to build up your list. It takes time. Um, and then, then you build up your list, and then royalties come in for previous titles and things like that. Um, so it's been kind of a really interesting trend to see how that's happened. And I'm, I'm not sure what the solution is for the agency side of things because I, I do feel like a lot of agencies are working on very small margins as it is. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's certainly a trend we've, we've seen in the past few years. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and especially the the agencies that are commission only that require you to be in New York, it's like only a, a very small subset of people are able to do that. So it's whether they have family supporting them or spouse supporting them or um, some yeah. kind of cash yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> flow. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Whatever it's crazy. Be. It's... Um, all right, so uh, if you send a client, um, what can they expect after? What does your process normally look like? You know, what kind of communication style do you have? All that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, so um, you know, the first thing. uh, So I mean, the the first, a lot of things happen at once. (laughs) You know, we have we have an agency agreement. You know, we talk about that. um, You know, uh, we work on revisions to the manuscript. Certainly, um, you know, sometimes that means um, overarching revisions. Um, You know, sometimes that means revisions on a line by line level. you know, I am always. You know, I, I am lucky enough. Um, well, so I'm lucky enough to be. Um, you know, at a point in my career where I, I can I can take on, you know, just clients and just um, you know books and things like that. that I absolutely love. Um, so. Um, so. Um, you know, I'm already very passionate about a project when I take it on. Um, and, you know, any revisions or things like that, like it's, it's, um, you know, it would be in the service of making it the best pop project possible. Um, you know, I've been doing this for so long that a lot of times I can anticipate, um, you know, if, if editors are going to have reservations, what those reservations are going to be. Um, and so a lot of times I am able to guide my authors in terms of um, you know, we might want to think about changing this aspect of the story or, or um, you know, working on this part or something along, you know, things along those lines. Um, you know, that being said, you know, certainly it's, it's you know, <laughs> the way I view this is that it is, um, you know, this is my author's book. It's their vision. So I can give advice um, based on my years in the industry, but certainly I am not, you know, I do not know everything, or <laughs> like I do not. So, like it is a conversation um, in terms of revisions. Um, and yeah, simultaneously, you know, we're working on um, submission lists and submission strategy. Um, you know, normally, as I'm reading a manuscript um, or a proposal and considering whether to take it on for representation, I'm thinking, um, yes, do I love this? But also, do I see? A clear route um, to see this successfully to market. So, a lot of times, I'm already thinking, like, you know, what editors will be the best fit. Um, you know, uh, you know, best best um, submission strategy. And so, then that is then a conversation that I have with the author. Um, you know, maybe there's certain imprints or publishing houses or editors that they're really excited about. So that will um, certainly, um, you know, affect things. Um, and so, yeah, so we used to we kind of work on that. I um, I work on, you know, my pitch. It used to be when when people were actually in their office, I would call <laughs> them up on the phone and be like, I have this fantastic project. Um, maybe one day we'll get back to that. I hope you will. Um, but, um, but, um, but you know, and I work on also my written pitch too in terms of what I send along when I send the manuscripts. Um, these days I also do my initial reaching out is by email because, you know, that's, kind of the only way to do it at this present moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then we go from there. And, you know, a lot of times my primary goal is to um, uh, create as much momentum behind the project as possible. Um, and um, and and things kind of uh, roll out from there.
0: Awesome. So we have two questions in the comments that are um, um, kind of related to this. So once you've already signed a client, you're working with them, um, have you ever had a client who wrote a book they thought was one age group or genre, but you knew was actually more marketable in another? And I do Bert is a Bert, sorry, Jessica Borsi, nicknamed Bert on um, Wednesdays, um, is a regular on the channel. And I know um that this is something she's looking at right now, um, middle grade versus YA. So
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Um th- that has certainly happened. Um and um uh, actually, for example, my client, J.L. Esplin's, um, uh, middle grade 96 miles which we're really excited about because it's been getting a ton of um it's made a ton of like state lists and been nominated for a ton of awards and things like that so like i feel like it came out during the middle of covid and i was just like oh like this poor book like it's probably not doing well and then we actually got sales numbers from the publisher and i was like oh my god <laughs> like, <it's laughs> and then like and then it just recently made all these lists so i'm like oh because like, it's, yeah. it's a great book but um the thing about that book was that it originally um was written as a YA. And um and, you know, we realized that it, it actually would be much stronger as a middle grade. And that was a conversation that Jenny and me and had and things like that. And um and yeah, and that's how ultimately how we sold it. Um, um you know, sometimes obviously there's certain themes or certain certain storylines which lend themselves better to middle grade. Um, or or vice versa, lend lend themselves better to YA, um, but also sometimes, for example, you you couldn't do this with middle grade and YA because the editors um, who acquire you know the within the imprints like they both they all acquire middle grade YA. So if they're bringing the project to like Ed Board to Pub Board, like it would be the same board that's making a decision on them. But what we'll do sometimes, and actually um, going out with a project right now, where you know it's um, and this happens this can happen sometimes a little bit more in um, fantasy actually although that being said i've also had it happen with contemporary um projects um where um you know it could potentially be marketed to the, an adult audience, but it could also potentially be marketed to a YA audience. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, maybe we go out with a slightly different version for the YA version versus for the adult version, um, but it's something where maybe we we reach out to adult imprints and we also reach out to to children's imprints. Um, now the strategy of that, it, it can change depending on the project, um, you know, uh, but yes, yeah, so it's, it is, definitely something um that happens um and um you know there's different ways to to handle it if it does
0: yeah yeah i mentioned the year of the witching earlier and i know that that book had a lot of back and forth um for age category so it was entered in pitch wars i may be mixing this up it may be backwards but as entered in pitch wars as a young adult and then it was aged up to adult during pitch wars and then um, they signed an agent and then the um, it was pitched as both adult and young adult to publishers and eventually signed with an adult publisher. But a lot of people still think it's young adult because the character is younger. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's like, it's, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's funny Sometimes that. you have those books that are right there. Yeah. Um, okay. So the second question that we have related to that is what do you do if, um, a client writes a book that you don't like, or I guess also talk a little bit about the difference between not liking and not thinking you can sell it. Yes. Um,
1: that is a really good point. So I, um, so now this is, this is obviously like, this is, um, you know, this certainly does happen and there's, there's different ways that it can play out. I mean, sometimes, um, if it's something where like I don't like it, but like it's it's kind of a subjective reason why I don't like it. I'm um, Not to say that doesn't happen very often. Um, normally, if I don't like something, like there if there's a reason behind it, and that I think that it would be hard to sell um, for various reasons. But um, um, so. Yeah. So, okay. So this is hypothetical because I can't actually remember a time when a client wrote a manuscript or I was like, I just don't like this because I don't like it versus I don't like it versus something to sell. But, but if there was that case, then I think that if I knew that it was just a subjective thing and like, I just for whatever reason didn't like it, but you know what? I think maybe agents, uh, I'm sorry, maybe publishers would, I would still go out with it and I would represent it to the best of my ability. Um, On the other hand, sometimes um, what will happen obviously is that there will be a manuscript, um, you know, a second manuscript or a third manuscript or a fourth manuscript where, um, you know, I think that there are, um, you know, potential um, you know, problems in terms of whether it would work for the marketplace, um, whether it's sometimes it's just a matter of like, is this book too quiet for as a mm-hmm. second book or like would we not be able to sell it just because of where the market is right now. So things like that. Um, so and that being said, I mean a lot of times with my clients, like we will discuss their next book. Like we will, you know, brainstorm ideas. Like we'll, you know, maybe I'll read like the opening chapters, like as they're writing it or something like that. So a lot of times, maybe this is a discussion that we're having where it doesn't get to the point where um, they've invested all this time and energy into the book, um, and then then it's like ah, like I don't I don't know if this is gonna work. That being said, sometimes. Um, you know, so, so, so basically what happens is, is a lot of times it's just a very honest, open conversation. And I say, look, like, these are my reservations. Um, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes in spite of my reservations, um, you know, maybe we will still go forward with it. Um, you know, but a lot of times, um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll revise the manuscript. Um, you know, but but then also too, what I always tell my clients is look like, you want someone who's going to be the best advocate for your book, um, for your books, whatever, so whatever that means. So, you know, it could be that like, I just don't have the vision for this project. Like, I just, I don't know what editors to send it to. Like, I just don't know how to position it. Like, you know, you are completely free to go ahead and like and maybe talk to other agents like reach out like I'm happy to give you referrals <laughs> or like to be like how awesome it is to work with you like feel free to like just I don't want I don't want my authors and this has to do with publishing when I go out to publishing houses too like I don't want my authors to have any regrets like to feel mm-hmm. like but what if like what if what if we had done this or what if I had you know explored this possibility or something like that like I want um I never want to stand in my clients way so you know, sometimes, um, yeah, they'll go and they'll talk to other agents and and see if anyone has a vision for it or see if someone does. And then, you know, sometimes, um, you know, maybe they'll work with that 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 agent. Maybe they will work out. Maybe it won't. Maybe we'll they'll come back to me for their next book. Um, you know, it really just depends on the situation. But um, so yeah, so I guess I, I guess like I, the thing is it's like sometimes like if 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 the author is really passionate, um, you know, and even if I maybe if I have reservations, but I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can see a way to make this work. Like, maybe I'll go out with it. Um, with that being said, I don't even know if that's always in the best service of the author because I think a lot of times it's just great. You you want an agent who's like, yes, like this is this I I I I I, I you know you can feel that enthusiasm, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's one of the things too. Like back when like I was pitching on the phone, like I would feel like you know editors could, I feel like editors can tell, you know, like they can tell, like if you're really excited about a project or they can tell if you're just kind of, um, faking it. Um, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I was thinking when, when this question was asked, it was hard and it said the book you don't like. And I was thinking about when I was a judge for uh, book awards last year, and there was a book that the plot centered, really heavily on a a mother's devotion to her child. Right. Which is not something that I like in books at all. Like I would never voluntarily pick up a book with that theme. Um, but I, I had to judge the book. And so I had to like separate, separate my personal, like, it's not even a dislike, it's like a not caring about that theme, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so I had to separate that, like that feeling from, from, and so I could read it. I'm like, I, I can see that this is a good book. I can see that people who care about this kind of thing would like this book. Right. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's something that you kind of sometimes have to do professionally um, versus like personal taste versus like the merits of the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. really, that's very true. All right. So let's do a quick round. Sure. Um, so, When I originally started this spinoff, so Agent Shot Live is a spinoff of my regular show Pub Talk Live, um, I was trying to come up with a name for it, and I'm very bad at naming things, so um, I asked my Patreon supporters if they had a suggestion for it, and Lodestar had suggested um, snack time with an agent because I really wanted kind of a casual feel, Uh, and I loved it, but I also felt like it implied that it was for like kid lit only. (laughs) Um, so I didn't go with that name, but this, this question is the remnant from that. So, yeah. All right. That's the only quick round question with the (laughs) introduction. (laughs) All right. So the question is, what is your favorite snack?
1: Um, Enderman donuts, the one, the, uh, the vanilla kind of the chocolate frosting Mm. on the outside, Mm -hmm. but like put it in the, putting it in the fridge.
0: Oh, Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah my really parents love cool. the the devil's food one. It's like the chocolate with the chocolate. That one's uh, good too. I, yeah. you
1: know, I also like the ones with like the nubs on it. Like I don't even know what you explain, but I don't know how you describe that. But the entertainment, the nubby mm-hmm. things on yeah. it.
0: They all like use it. like soy or soy flour, or soy lectithin, so I can't have any of them. But oh, okay. yeah, I ate them when I was a kid. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is your preferred caffeine source? So
1: it has changed. So I, um, I had a a baby two years ago, and since that time, I have been obsessed with iced coffee. Like it is like you know, eighteen degrees outside. I'm outside walking with iced coffee. (laughs) I used to drink more tea, um, and I still drink tea, but like it's it's iced coffee is my. I'm I I get, yeah. I I I think about like where what am yeah where am I gonna drink iced coffee or am I gonna get iced coffee from somewhere or something (laughs) like that. It's been kind of one of my one. I feel like I've spent a lot of money during COVID on iced coffee, but like mm-hmm. I feel like it's like one of those things that like I can like like those small treats that get me through the day. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: Yeah. I drink a lot of iced coffee too, but it's because I live in Florida and it's like 90 degrees eight <laughs> months over the year. So um. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, is there a word that you irrationally hate?
1: So I um Oh, gosh, I'm going to say this and I feel like I'm going to, because I feel like I've said before and like I've had like authors be like, no, like, wait, but that's in my manuscripts or like my clients are like, but that's in my manuscripts. Um, I don't like the word smirk. I, I just, oh. I don't know. There's something about it. I just, I don't like it. Um, yeah. I understand why it exists. Like I understand, but there's just something about it that really bothers me.
0: Okay. Um, what person do you most want to read a memoir from that, as far as you know, doesn't have one? Um, so uh, I have this band I really
1: like called The National and the main singer Matt Benninger, Feninger, ben, whatever I get but I, I think I want to read a memoir by him. I um, it might not be very interesting, but I feel like the lyrics to their songs are really interesting. Mm-hmm. um and like I feel like every time I listen to it, I'm like, I get something else from it. It could just be like he was really like drunk or... or (laughs) something when you wrote the lyrics so like maybe there's nothing interesting there but like I'm I'm a little intrigued so um also our wedding song or my wedding song was that we we had one of their songs and we actually saw him at the Bowery Ballroom like he was doing a show there and we Me and my husband like pounced on him. I'm like, when he was down in the (laughs) face, and like he was trying to leave, but really, he was was talking to other people. And we're like, wait, like, and like we talked to him for a few minutes. I'm not like, I mean, I've like, I with celebrities, like I could care less, but just for some reason, this, like, I just, I don't know, it was really, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, (laughs) him. All
0: right, so I'm going to switch up this last question a little bit because we talked a little bit beforehand. So, um, I'm going to switch it to, um, who's your favorite cartoon character? Oh
1: um oh gosh so this is hard like so i haven't um gosh i i actually have not watched cartoons in a long time like Mm. so my i'm going back to like
0: thing. yeah go back to your childhood
1: well yeah but then ah but then i'm also um thinking about like i i have two stepsons and like while they were growing up, watched a lot of like um, like Family Guy and like Bob's Burgers and um, and South Park. Um, but I can't say like I've got any favorite characters from those. Um, oh my god, I don't even know. I you know for some reason. Um, I mean. Like I used to like Rainbow Bright, but like that was like, that was a oh, love
0: rainbow bright. Yeah. I had, my entire bedroom was Rainbow Bright. So yeah. <laughs> <Great>. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, she was great. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Yeah. Although Jem, Jem, do you remember Jem? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, I, I, gem was, I remember loving Jem too. So, yeah.
0: yeah. I, um, we didn't, I, I don't know why, but I didn't watch a lot of Jem when I was younger. I was aware of it. um, But I, there was like a, we had a Barbie and the Rockers. VHS, which I feel like was trying to be like Jem. And I really did like that though. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. Yeah. Back when we had (laughs) VHSs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a show, I don't know, Kids Incorporated. I don't know if you remember Mm -hmm. that. But, um, I found episodes on YouTube recently. That wasn't a cartoon, that was part of the show, but like there's all these famous people who are in it, like yeah. like really famous people now. And they all started yeah. in Kids Incorporated.
0: And it's like, crazy. that they like, don't no talk I about loved them. Space Cases, which was like, I think I watched it when I was like eight, 10, somewhere around there. And Jewel State is in it. She's a, like oh. one of the main characters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's really, yeah, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, so one more question from Patreon supporter loads and then we'll get to the questions from the audience. Um, what do you like to do for fun or self care? Ice coffee. <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> I, like, really, like... No, yeah. I seriously like I had
1: to answer um I had answered this like form recently and it was like what is your favorite activity and I was like drinking iced coffee while walking around <laughs> so that's just no but I I love to read um obviously mm-hmm. um I don't know I'd like to eat I'd like to I don't know are those activities like I don't I don't really know
0: um well, I like, do, a year yeah. ago I played volleyball but I haven't played volleyball for a year so now it's like like literally walking around my neighborhood listening to audiobooks, which is all I do anymore.
1: <laughs> that it's exactly like exactly, yeah. Like all my mind just goes to like COVID activities, like walking through the woods. Like I've always like walking through the woods. Like I'm like hiking, but like I just I can't even. Like it's hard to remember, like, you know, what did I used to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. All
0: right. So we have a question from Catherine. Is it becoming more common for authors' manuscripts to be absolutely fall- flawless during querying? I know it needs to be pretty perfect, but is there no way agents will offer rep for a book with flaws?
1: Uh, no, like certainly, like there's a lot of times that like I'll offer representation um, for a project that I think that like um, you know has a lot of potential, um, or the author has a lot of potential, but that. Um, you know, I think that the manuscript needs work. Um, on the other hand, sometimes what I'll also do is I'll also, um, you know, maybe there's, maybe I really like an author's writing, but there's something about the manuscript that I think just wouldn't work. And I, I don't see a clear way to revision. So sometimes I'll just be like, I, I don't know if this will work, but like if you ever have a new manuscript or you want to brainstorm new ideas, like I'm happy to talk. Um, but yeah, no, so I think, so agents will take on projects, like even if they're not perfect, um, it, as long as they have a vision um, to make it into um, uh, you know, a manuscript that they think they can sell. Um, mm-hmm. It's more that editors, I think, used to take on those types of projects that maybe had flaws or maybe needed work. And these days, um, editors are a lot more, um, you know they just they they you know they they won't. It's interesting though because like I actually I saw um there was a twitter thread uh twitter thread recently and it asked editors um you know how many manuscripts they receive a week and incredibly like this is something I had no idea like I really did not know and um you know it was about 25 manuscripts a week which um, is a lot. Like, I mean, certainly as agents, like we get a ton more manuscripts, but like mm-hmm. as editors getting it, like they're getting it from agents that they trust, um, and agents, a lot of times agents that they know. And so those are actually, um, you know, so that is a significant amount of work to go through 25 manuscripts a week. So I think yeah. that I, um, it, it makes a little bit more sense to me now, like why, um, you know why a lot of times they won't take on something, or like I guess it makes a little bit more sense to me now too. I like sometimes like I just don't you know sometimes like it just takes editors a long time to read something yeah <laughs> I think but like I think like I'm glad I know that because like it it gives me a little bit more um a little bit more um, sympathy or empathy or whatever. Yeah, I was thinking
0: about that thread too, um, when you were saying editors are now less likely to take on work books that need a lot of work um, because there was a lot of conversation in that, in that whole, I, what you call it, I don't know what you call it, a conversation around a Twitter thread, right? Um, about like the reduction of workforce but still expecting the same output at publishers. Yeah. Yeah, so for sure.
1: You know, it was so interesting. So before um, uh, the Obama administration left, like, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a um, law that was going to come into effect, which was going to um, uh, force publishers to pay everyone on um, overtime. So any, Mm -hmm. or any reading that they got done at home, which would have significantly, um, which would have been great for people in the industry, obviously, but I also think it would have significantly, I'm I'm always kind of curious like what kind of effect that would have had on the industry like I don't know I feel like it would have made things even slower because basically publishers have been like you you can only read a little I I don't know actually but maybe maybe editors would have read anyway I don't know but that's something that I sometimes think about like what how that would have affected things
0: yeah um I mean I because it's so like this is like not really exactly the same but so I had a, um, a contract position at a, a very large energy company. My nice. degree's in mechanical engineering, and I used to be a tech writer. And um, they gave me this laptop. So I was working on these documents that were like 80 pages long um, and had a whole bunch of graphs and and pictures and stuff, right? And the computer crashed all the time because it couldn't handle documents of that size. Oh my God. And I didn't have software. I didn't have like Scrivener or any kind of like long form software. It was usually Word. And I kept complaining about it and no one did anything, right? And we had timesheets then where we had to, like, charge to projects, right? So we spent, like, three hours on this project, whatever. Um, and then I started, someone suggested this to me and I did it, where I would put, like, 45 minutes to 90 minutes a day under the the, the title of, like, computer downtime. Ooh. Because my computer's crashing. Yeah. I can't work, right? Um, within two weeks, I had a brand-new laptop. And so it's, like, one of those things where, like, if you show the company that this is costing you money, this is causing, you know, yeah, then they're more likely to, like, give you the things that you need. So I wonder if maybe there would have been some of that. That is
1: really, that's really interesting. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, yeah.
0: Because it was, like, I mean, they charge the client, you know, $70 an hour for my time, and I'm spending six, seven hours a week, like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then, no, awesome. exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's something. Yeah, there that there is like something like about it being like on paper and and like the
0: transparency and being like this being is being able, able to see the so numbers. Hard. I think is really important <laughs> to people. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's so true.
0: Um, all right, so Didra asks, um, what's the difference between a literary novel set in 1886 and a historical novel? <laughs>
1: Oh gosh, um, uh, not, uh, so there's not, um, like there's not these days. Um, you know, it used to be that sort of sometimes historical novels um, were, sometimes they were seen like as genre novels, like um, where like they were like kind of their own category and things like that. But the historical, um, that has changed. And part of that is like the historical market has just sort of taint. Um, And so these days for something to work as a historical, it needs to have like sort of a literary edge to it um, for Mm -hmm. the most part. Um, It needs to, and this is for the adult market. Um, We can talk about the YA market too, but, um, or middle grade. Um, But um, so like these days for a historical novel to work, it has to almost have um, a literary edge or sometimes like what industry, the industry would call it like upmarket book club fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's, and it's being sold to like these general um, interest imprints, um, so it, it it's competing against all of these other like literary upmarket book club fiction books and mm-hmm. things like that. So, um,
0: so not much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, what draws you into a cold query and keeps your attention?
1: Um. So I um. Certainly, the description is important, but I actually tend to skip a lot of times. I ask, I do ask people to send the opening pages, and a lot of times I will skip almost immediately to the opening pages, and then maybe I'll go back and read the description um, because I just feel like writing query letters. Um, you know, it's a very different art form than writing act- an actual book. Um, um, both require a lot of talent, but like they are different, um, and so a lot of times I. Am more interested in reading how the actual manuscript reads versus how the description, because a lot of times even like I'll read a fantastic manuscript, offer the author representation, and I'll go back and I'll I read the query letter. I'll be like, oh, this just sounds awful. <laughs> like, <if> I, <laughs> if I, if I, like I don't like you know, and then like I totally revise it like in terms of like when I'm going out in terms like you know I do a totally different description obviously when I'm pitching it and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so a lot of times it, it's the actual pages that really draw me. And that being said, like I do think with query letters. Um, there are, um, I think free letters tend to be too long. Um, I think that a lot of times people tend to give too much details. Um, there's really only three things that you need to, well, obviously it's good to get across like the genre and that type of thing, any co- any mm-hmm. comp titles or anything, but. Um, and then um, for fiction, you really want to get across like who the protagonist is, um, maybe something that's sort of sympathetic about them or compelling. Um, you want to get across like what the conflict is and you want to get across the stakes um, um, for nonfiction. And then of course, like, you know, any relevant bio information um, for nonfiction, it's really the question, the two questions you have to answer are, um, is this like, why is there a need for this book? Um, So that includes like, is there a hole in the market? Um, Is there a big audience? Those types of questions. And then also like, why are you the best person to be writing it?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Juliana, if you wouldn't mind clarifying your question, I'm not sure if you mean like a difference in length or just the way that the pitch is split up between paragraphs. (laughs) Um, And we'll get to your question. Hopefully if you clarify we'll get to it right after this next question. All right. So um, your, my last question for me is, what is your single best query letter tip?
1: Um, I mean, I think what I think, like I said, like sort of like keeping it short, sweet and kind of answering all those bullet points. Um, I would say that's it. You know, one thing that like I suggest not doing is that, um, which I see a lot is is people being like, um, sort of like de- describing their book, like using adjectives. So being like, this mm-hmm. is a great story, or even like, this is a fast paced story or something. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is like, that is, that is a subjective thing. Um, and so I-, I suggest trying to avoid any type of descriptor in terms of what your your book is in, in ter- terms of like, whether it's good or bad or like fast paced or humorous or something like that, like instead, like have, um, have the description and then have the actual pages speak to that. Like if you're, if your book is going to be humorous, like have that humor come across mm-hmm. in, in the opening pages. Um, and so that would kind of be one of my, my biggest, um, you know, one of my biggest, uh, suggestions.
0: Yeah, that's great. When I teach, um, like about query letters, that's one of the things I say is, is don't editorialize your book. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, don't write anything about it. Like a reviewer would write about it. Um, and and also uh, like like you mentioned it's it's one of those like show don't tell situations where like if a book is funny you shouldn't have to tell me that it's funny right exactly. um if a book is fast paced you shouldn't have to tell me that it is fast paced um and and show that in your query letter because i've definitely i used to read slush for a publisher and so i've definitely read queries that are like this is a humorous story i'm like wait what where <laughs> like where was it humorous <laughs> in the query letter you know so like you can you can show that in the query letter without saying it for sure yeah i guess yeah. per- per- put perfectly <laughs> <laughs> um all right so juliana's question was in queries do you prefer a one or three paragraph pitch i don't i don't really know if that means shortening it or obviously you prefer a shorter pitch, which you've said. So, um, I think,
1: yeah, so I think, um, so I don't know if you're referring to like, so sometimes like people will do like a, like a one sentence pitch or something like that, Mm -hmm. like at the top of their query letter. Um, and I think sometimes that can be effective. Like I don't necessarily feel like, um, like, I feel like it has to be really that has to, it has to be really strong when census pitch and sometimes like books just don't lend themselves to that or it's really yeah. hard in which case I wouldn't spend too much time doing that like it's not something that um you know I I um you know I'll I'll scan to the actual description anyway um but I think like I think a lot of it kind of just depends on once again like you want to get those three main points in um or you know but but you don't. So, but, but how you divide that up into paragraphs, like it's it's kind of up to you. Um, certainly, sometimes when people have like uh, manuscripts where it's like from different people's different different people's point of view, mm-hmm. it makes sense to divide it up into like more paragraphs than you would otherwise. Um, like you'll introduce a character and be like, give us something about the character and what their conflict is. Give us information about the next character and what mm-hmm. their conflict is, and then do a third paragraph where you kind of tie it all together and what the the overall conflict and stakes of the story. Yeah. Are.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it depends on the book, especially like super, super high concept books are much easier to pitch in a short um, one paragraph, you know, versus like a, a more kind of sprawling, like, let's say literary historical fiction will take a little bit longer. Um, all right. Great. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, thank you all so much for watching and asking questions. And if you're watching the replay or listen, the podcast, glad to have you, however you are um, consuming the show. Um, we have Wednesday write-ins are continuing. So every Wednesday at 8 p.m. we get together for virtual write-ins. You're welcome to join us. Um, even if you're not writing, people come and plot. Um, they Some people come and read. Some people come and work in blog posts or whatever you want to do. And then next Saturday's Pub Talk Live um, is going to feature 2020 Pitch Wars mentees talking about the Pitch Wars experience. So come back for that. And thank you everyone so much for watching and we'll see you next time. Everyone stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask. Bye.